everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com. Uh, not on mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And uh, hey, you can find me at Austin Glidden on uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, it's great. Find me on Letterboxd too. I always love uh, hearing from people on there as well and seeing what you guys are posting. Uh, hey, you can also uh, follow or subscribe to the podcast so you can see when we have new episodes popping up and uh, when we do bonus content and different things. We really appreciate it. It really helps content creators to do such things like rate and review and all of those things, and we really appreciate when you do it. So all that said, uh, last Sunday, uh, July 18th, was uh, Paul Verhoeven's birthday okay and uh he he directed uh, robocop total recall starship troopers showgirls uh basic instinct he did hollow man and l and black book i mean he, he did a ton of stuff he is a a classic filmmaker he has a very distinct kind of uh eras of his career you know his danish stuff he did uh hollywood blockbusters then he started doing these like european films uh yeah he's he's just an interesting guy we did a listener's poll, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, we did a listener's poll on which film you would like us to talk about, us being me, Joe, and Sam. Yes, Joe's back, he hasn't been here for a little over a month, I feel like, and Sam hasn't been, actually, I think the last time we had Joe, Sam was on, but anyways, neither here nor there, the point is this, uh, you know, uh, we, we asked you guys what you wanted to hear, you picked RoboCop, it won pretty, uh, like, solid, like it was a solid win. I rewatched RoboCop. I also rewatched Total Recall just for fun. Uh, and I started watching other Verhoeven movies. Used to, Total Recall was my favorite Verhoeven movie, but upon rewatching it, I actually think RoboCop is my favorite. Uh, it is really great, at least my favorite of what I've seen. But I didn't stop with those two. Oh no. I also realized I had never seen Showgirls outside of like random TV edits, or I don't even know if there are TV edits. I saw some edited version. As a kid, I used to watch scrambled channels uh, <laughs> to try to watch it through the TV scramble, if anybody remembers when, when those days were. If you didn't have HBO, for example, and then you went to the HBO channel on your old cable TV, um, you know you could see a scrambled version of it, where it was all like fucked up, you couldn't hear it, and all the video was weird, but I could still see boobs. And as a teenager, that's what I wanted to see, all right? There you go. There you have it. The point is, Showgirls, uh, I, I've ne- I had never seen it, and nor did I ever really want to. And But I thought, when am I ever going to watch it? I feel like I should see it just to have an opinion. And it's Verhoeven's birthday. We're going to be talking about it. Why not make the whole show about Paul Verhoeven? So I decided to watch Showgirls. And then after that, I just wanted to watch more Verhoeven, not because I necessarily liked it or disliked it. I'll talk about it here in a moment. But then I watched Basic Instinct, which came out a few years prior to Showgirls. I had never seen all of uh, Basic Instinct either. I'd only seen different scenes, you know, or caught some of it on TV years and years ago. And I knew that there was like this whole, you know, following for that movie as well. Uh, and so I decided to watch them. And then I decided I was going to talk about them today. So I uh, here coming up here in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about Basic Instinct. Then I'll move on to Showgirls. And then I'll introduce Joe and Sam into the mix. And we will discuss long form RoboCop. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Stay tuned with us. I'm going to come back here in just a second. And we're going to talk about Basic Instinct.
All right, so the time has come. Basic Instinct from 1992, directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Joe Esterhaas, uh, you know, starring Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, Gene Triplehorn, and George Zunza. Uh, you know, it was released March 20th, 1992, with a budget of $49 million, and in the box office, it made $352 million. Now, that, my friends, is what I call a massive, massive success. Basic Instinct is an erotic thriller that focuses on Detective Nick Curran, uh, played by Michael Douglas, who is in charge of the investigation of a brutal murder case involving a former rock star, store, a former rock star, his friend with benefits, and uh, police politics that come into play. This friend with benefits, Catherine, played by Sharon Stone, is a psychologist and novelist. She uses her skills of the former to benefit the latter, befriending former killers and getting close to those who intrigue her. Nick is a of particular interest, and we watch him slowly fall apart as the film unwinds to its shocking conclusion. Except, it's not very shocking, and I'll talk more about that shortly. Now, I want to start with some criticisms, recognizing that this is a Paul Verhoeven movie, and it is from 1992, okay? I get it. Different era, and it's, you know, Verhoeven is not known for subtleties, uh, with the exception of, like, a lot of his subtextual messaging, which actually uh, does kind of elude a lot of people, but in terms of the uh, of his films, they are usually not very subtle, uh, that said, you know, the film tries way too hard, speaking of uh, Basic Instinct, tries way too hard to mislead the audience through its mystery. And, uh, you know, after 29 years, we have seen enough movies to know that the person the film is trying to make us think is the killer is likely not the killer. This is a key factor in many thrillers and mysteries from the era that make films like, uh, you know, like Basic Instinct age poorly to an extent. But another factor that, you know, aids in this poor aging is Verhoeven's hyperbolic approach to everything. It works so beautifully in RoboCop, which we'll talk about here shortly, and Total Recall and Starship Troopers, for example, uh, work great. But with Basic Instinct, it makes it feel, it makes it very difficult to take anything seriously. And it's not that one must take it seriously, you know, because uh, Basic Instinct can be pretty ridiculous. But what's the point in a murder mystery, if it is a serious, dramatic film that cannot be taken seriously. Now, it's funny sometimes, but it's not a comedy. So what am I missing? I feel certain the answer is nothing, but you know, you're welcome to let me know if you disagree. It's just Verhoeven's style. And though I love his style in other films, which I've already mentioned some, it doesn't work quite as well here. Now, does it ruin the film? Absolutely not. I just think it takes away from what Basic Instinct is accomplishing at its core. We don't have to take Total Recall seriously. It's ridiculous, and that's part of its charm. And with the like the hyperbolic style that Verhoeven employs, it really works and actually elevates that film, I think, you know, to something better than it would normally be. But I don't get the point of Basic Instinct if we're supposed to treat it the same way as Total Recall. And I don't think we are. Or at least I don't think we should. Now, Verhoeven has been very open about his hyperbolic style. He often puts in, you know, subtextual messages that challenge certain ideas. For example, in Starship Troopers, he tackles fascism, connects fascism with American imperialism, looks at the nature of propaganda, and addresses the idea of military grunts as expendable. Now, is he really breaking any new ground with these observations? No, but in the case of Starship Troopers, Verhoeven is making a film within the studio system that is attacking these ideas, and at least that's something. 
Now, honestly, it's more than we usually get, but with Basic Instinct, Verhoeven gives us this equally trashy but beautiful film about exactly what we see. Uh, you know, one could argue this film tackles misogyny or power dynamics between the sexes or whatever you interpret from the film, but as far as this critic is concerned, being me, it's an erotic thriller that is sometimes gory, sometimes sexy, and sometimes really stupid. Uh, but I not, I never got bored. You know, I got to give that, I got to give the film some credit for that. I never got bored, which I rarely do with Verhoeven films. But why? Well, first, Jean Dubon's cinematography is really great, as if I'm surprised. Uh, he also worked on, you know, a lot of Verhoeven's films, including some of the Danish ones, and uh, shot The Hunt for Red October, Flatliners, etc., uh, you know, is he a genius? Probably not, but he makes Verhoeven's films look awesome. Second, I'm actually interested in the detective mystery here. I just wish that I could take it more seriously and it was less heavy-handed. Um, but, you know, I'm intrigued by the mystery, and I'm notably a sucker for such stories, but, you know, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I guess, that you know, these types of mysteries and me being a sucker for them, that goes a long way with me. So, you know, I see that as a plus. Third, I've already said it looks good, and the story kept my attention, but the performances are strange. Sometimes genuinely good, other times ridiculous and absurd, and pretty much everywhere in between throughout the film. Uh, this is really an inconsistent aspect, and though I could argue why, even my justification would be stupid. So, in some, you know, they don't ruin the movie. It's just something that you kind of have to run with and that hope you're into it, you know. And the characters are, I don't know, they're pretty by the books, I guess, and uh, are a service to the plot almost exclusively, it feels. Um, but overall, you know, uh, particularly Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone, I was actually pretty into their performances, even if they they are inconsistent, because I do think they are. Um, I was like kind of surprisingly into him, so I'm counting those as a plus as well. There is a great scene, though. I really love the opening scene where we witness the murder of the aforementioned rock star. Now, there, are all, uh, there was almost a De Palma vibe to me, you know, like something out of, uh, I don't know, um, you know, Dressed to Kill or, or uh, um, Body Double or something, you know? <laughs> um, you know, like just surprisingly violent, like you don't expect it to be. Um, but I found it very effective, actually, and it really set the mood uh, really well, set the movie off right. Um, and though I don't think a lot of the movie kind of adds up to that, there is enough that I just felt like it was a good opener. And, uh, you know, toward the end, we get another wonderfully graphic and gory scene regarding an elevator. If you haven't seen the film, I'll give you a chance to see it without spoiling that, because it is, uh, that whole sequence is actually pretty effective to me. And uh, these are moments where Verhoeven's hyperbole really worked. Now, all in all, I was into this movie mostly because I'm a sucker for this kind of mystery. I have to admit, that is my bias, and I'm putting it out there transparently. Um, but, you know, even if it doesn't really pay off, I was into it. And as I said about Eyes of Laura Mars last week, just as I was kind of casually talking about it, you know, it's about the journey more than the destination. Uh, and on that level, I thought that even though the story ends kind of stupidly, I was along for the ride, and uh, I don't regret that at all. Now, uh, you know, it, it is beautifully shot, it's led well by Douglas and Stone, and 
you know, despite my criticisms, it's really, really easy to watch. I never got bored during its two hours, seven minutes running time, and that's saying something, to be honest, uh, with movies like this. So, you know, I can't put this movie super over, but it was, you know, a three and a half out of five for me, even though that feels generous. Um, but you know what? It also feels right. So, uh, you know, I say check this out, or if you've seen it, give it a rewatch and, uh, you know, develop an opinion or an updated opinion for yourself. I doubt you'll regret it. Now, if you've seen Basic Instinct and agree or disagree with me, please let me know via, you know, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just go to Medium Cool Pod on any of those uh, platforms and we will be there. You can also go to Twitter and uh, at Austin Glidden and you will find me and you can let me know, uh, you know, how I was right or wrong or somewhere in between. Just let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Next, I'm going to talk about the unbelievably infamous Showgirls. Now, I want to say a little something before we jump into Showgirls here, okay? Uh, Showgirls is one of those movies that I think most podcasts or film critics, unless they're being cheeky or unless they are a part of the kind of strange cult following that this film has uh, has built over the last 20-some years. Uh, no one would usually touch Showgirls with a 10-foot pole. You know, like, why waste, you know, precious time on content that you're creating on a film like this? And these are the types of movies I love to watch and talk about because I think every film has something, uh, you know, that can be said about it. And uh, so I'm really excited, actually, and I was. this was the first film I watched between the two. I didn't watch them chronologically. I just went for Showgirls first because I was like, I've never seen it. I want to like this movie. Everyone hates it, it seems. And we'll get to that in a moment. But it seems like everyone hates it. And part of me is like, I kind of want to be the guy that likes this movie because I like Paul Verhoeven a lot, and I'm really hoping for something great. Well... Uh, let's talk about it. Showgirls from 1995, it was rated NC-17, which is essentially the modern-day X rating, uh, which means it's pretty much just going to be blacklisted from most theaters, and it's not going to get a ton of ad space. I mean, it's really just kind of a, you know, the, uh, the rating of death. Um, but hey, it got NC-17, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, of course, written again by Joe Esterhaas. It's starring Elizabeth Berkley from, uh, uh, you know, Saved by the Bell fame, at least that's what I knew her from before. Kyle MacLachlan, who was uh, really great in, uh, you know, Twin Peaks and other David Lynch movies, as well as many other things. He's just great, also great here. Gina Gershon, Glenn Plummer, and Robert, uh, I think it's Davi. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I've always thought of it as Robert Davi. Maybe it's Davy. Uh, I'm going to say Davi. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Just hit me up at Austin Glidden on Twitter. Now, the release date was September 22nd, 1995. It had a budget of 40 to $45 million. The box office, though, $37.8 million. That is a bona fide flop, my friends. Uh, this film did not do well. Uh, the film is about a young drifter named Nomi, played by Elizabeth Berkley, who arrives in Las Vegas to become a dancer and soon sets about clawing and pushing her way to become a top showgirl. Starting in a strip club called The Cheetah, she quickly rises to the top, finally making it to the big time uh, at the Stardust Casino. The journey from the beginning to the end is a long one, but it's full of sex, spite, revenge, love, loss, and what it takes to be the top dog. 
so to speak. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't do any of this particularly well. And what blows my mind is there is a decent-sized cult following behind Showgirls. And over the years, it's become a pretty vocal minority. Every single popular review on Letterboxd that popped up on my account, at least, gave the film, every one of them, you know, unless you start searching for more of them, but the ones that just pop up on the Showgirls page for me, Every single one of them gave it a four out of five or higher. Okay, four out of five or higher. This movie is talked about as a half star movie generally. Okay, and somehow this vocal minority has made it look like it is, you know, a huge star. Now, the spectrum of ratings is all over the place, all the way from, you know, zero rating all the way to five. So it's pretty wild. But I just want to share a few of these, uh, uh, like, little quote-unquote reviews or comments about the film. Misunderstood by even its defenders as merely a satire of American greed and attendant dreams of stardom, uh, when its true target is the apparatus that sells those dreams to an endless returning audience of narcissistic suckers, all the more brilliant due to Verhoeven's staunch heroic refusal to pander to good taste, not to mention the empathy he maintains for his lead actor or his lead character, rather, without ever letting her off the hook for her own culpability in the poisoned fantasy. Another person says, uh, the people who think this is dumb are the same people who think Inception is smart. Well, sir, I think this is dumb, and I don't think Inception is smart, so gotcha. Another person uh, put a comment and just put, girl power. <laughs> Uh, which is really fun. You know, I'm going to have um, a my former committee chair when I was studying film. Her name's Ashley Donnelly. I just texted her today. I'm going to have her on the show at some point in the future. I would love to bring up Showgirls and talk about it as girl power um, because it's, it has nothing to do with the, the strip clubs or the nudity or any of that because I can argue one way or another about the girl power aspect. It is the way these characters are treated. We'll talk about... Uh, maybe we might talk about that sometime. Anyways, another comment, and the last one I have on here. Spring Breakers meets Black Swan. Most people dismiss Showgirls as shallow trash or as a film that is so bad it's good. However, I feel the exact opposite. I honestly view this as a great film. In my eyes, it's a misunderstood classic. By the way, I thought Elizabeth Berkley's performance was fantastic. Seriously, this is a new favorite of mine. If you don't like this movie, you must not own any Versailles, which is, you know, uh, what Elizabeth Berkley calls Versace. Now, listen, I think it's funny because I don't think Showgirls is as bad as a lot of people. Of course, not the ones I just quoted, but a lot of people make it out to be. Uh, but it's still really bad, guys. <laughs> you know, and and to some extent, I do think there is some some uh, at least from my perspective, there is some uh, uh, merit to it being kind of a so bad it's good thing because there are moments of the movie that I actually you know was entertained by, even though in the end I just thought it was just really dumb. Uh, but you know, uh, in an interview with Paul Verhoeven and Gina Gershon in 2017, I believe. Uh, you know, uh, Verhoeven talks about how he was trying to make a movie where everyone is a bad person except one, and that's Nomi's best friend, uh, who is rewarded for her goodness by being raped and hospitalized after a brutal beating, okay? 
now, I'm all about Bummerville, okay? I'm all about, you know, everyone being a bad person. I don't need to like anyone in a movie to like a movie. Uh, but he says he was trying to create a story, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, he's trying to create a story that's basically about, you know, uh, what it takes to be the best in that industry. And, you know, he says he feels that the film was misunderstood because it was taken too seriously, when in reality it's meant to be cartoonish and exaggerated, back to the hyperbole that uh, Verhoeven employs in his in his style. You know, of course, uh, Verhoeven goes on to talk about, you know, how, of course, it's not a serious movie, uh, you know, he also thinks that it's misunderstood because of the studio's advertising, making it out to be this, you know, the sexiest film ever, when in reality, it's the opposite. It's more revolting than anything. And that's Verhoeven kind of talks about that, like it's the least sexy thing ever. I actually love hearing Verhoeven talk about uh, uh, Showgirls for two reasons. He understands what he's doing. And on that level, I would say he succeeds. And he's not trying to create some deep, you know, uh, exposition of the horrors of stardom or something. You know, his intent was to tell a simple story that is based in reality. And Verhoeven and uh, Esterhaus did tons of research prior to making uh, to the making of Showgirls. They wanted to know the ins and outs so that they could make a hyperbolic representation of an actual reality. You know, a thing that exists. So um, from what Verhoeven says, everything in the film is something that has happened. You know, he was trying to create a reality, just a hyperbolic representation of it. And using hyperbole, you know, it was to get certain points across more effectively, meaning if he makes this certain aspect of it way more ridiculous, it will stand out. And, you know, it standing out is kind of the point of the film. We're supposed to notice these things and it's supposed to be either ridiculous or sad or upsetting or whatever the intended message is. Um, but the sad part is I don't think the hyperbole actually functions the way that Verhoeven wanted it to. You cannot make a movie with this bad of a script, these bad performances, which, you know, is also likely in large part to the script and characterizations, less so the actors, but, you know, and, and a, a movie that is this overly sexual, and I'm no prude, but even Verhoeven said he thought people didn't like it because they were too busy looking at the nudity and sexual and the sexual stuff uh, to actually catch the nuances that he was trying to accomplish. And I agree uh, that, you know, it was dis more distracting than effective. But as for the script, I mean, oh, uh, there, <laughs> there is an actual scene between Gershon's Crystal and Nomi where they bond by connecting you know, via their pasts of loving dog food. You heard me right. They loved dog food. It's like, we both love dog food. Let's be friends. I mean, that's basically what that scene could be summed up as. I still don't know if they actually like dog food. I, it felt so weird. That, that scene accomplishes nothing. Okay, uh, anybody who says it does, I will happily just debate you on this. I understand what the film wants it to do, but it's just, it is so stupid. Uh, you know, we love dog food. Get the fuck out of here. Anyways, that's fucking stupid. I'm sorry. Now, like Goodwill Hunting, you know, there was this Goodwill Hunting meme uh, that was uh, Will, where he says, I hate you. And then Sean, played by uh, Robin Williams, 
you know, says, my wife used to fart in her sleep. And then Will says, we're best friends. You know, it's like this meme, something like that, where it just basically simplifies this much more complex scene um, just to this kind of basic, like, I hate you. My wife farts in her sleep. We're best friends now kind of a thing. Uh, but it, this is not the case in Showgirls. It's just not. Uh, it does not. There's no complexity. It's just a stupid, stupid scene. And unfortunately, that is not the only time we get that level of stupidity. There's one other example uh, where, uh, you know, during a serious kind of heart to heart between Nomi and Al, played by Robert Davi, you know, Al says, must be weird not having anyone come on you. And it's like, dude. This is supposed to be like a heartwarming moment, and it's obviously super ridiculous, but the characters don't play it off that way. That was my interpretation. I don't think they're playing it off like it's silly. It still seemed like this heartwarming thing to say, and I understand that this is all like a hyper hyperbolic thing. I, keep, I feel like I'm overusing hyperbolic, but that is like, that is, this movie is hyperbole incarnate, okay? And, and so on that level, I think Verhoeven was right about his own film you know but dude dude this script has to go this is bad i mean this is where the half star ratings for this movie i feel like this is the basis of that thing uh it is bad so i'm just i'm not even gonna harp on about it anymore because i'm just gonna keep saying it is bad uh, but the performances are hard to judge because, you know, they're often bad but i don't really blame the actors so much as i do the writing and the directing Verhoeven, however, is so talented that I didn't hate this experience, despite me thinking it's ultimately so stupid. But the direction of the actors is largely a miss. And like Basic Instinct, this is supposed to be an erotic thriller, but I really, really wish it was better because it fails there too. If the acting were better, the writing more tolerable, if the tension were more palpable, etc., this might be awesome. But damn, is it stupid. The, uh, the everyone is bad part of the film is actually compelling to a degree, but nothing is done with it in any kind of purposeful way. You know, uh, the black character is the only good character, and she's punished for being good. And it's a sleazy way to use rape and abuse. It just feels so phony and forced. I hated that aspect of it. The use of rape in this movie. We just talked about the Virgin Spring a few weeks back with Matt Sosi. I did. Matt, Matt and I talked about it. And we talked about how the use of rape in the Virgin, uh, the Virgin Spring is done in a non-exploitative way. Like it was done with a purpose and, and uh, you know, it, it felt like there was some sort of, like it was more truthful maybe, or I, I don't even know the word I want to use off the top of my head right now, but it just felt like it had more purpose and it wasn't being used in some phony way. And I, I had given a f few examples, I believe, of times where it does feel phony. This one is among, you know, the top examples I would use. It's terrible. Um, and, you know, anyways, I you know, I mean... I get the sex is money message in this movie as well, getting away from the rape scene. You know, I, I mean, I, I get the sex is money message. That's Verhoeven's intent, I'm sure. But, you know, he suspects it didn't do well in part because it feels anti-American. 
you know, sex is money, money is capitalism, and he's, you know, challenging that thing. So he himself has talked about, yeah, like, I don't think Americans like it because it feels anti-American. I don't think he recognizes that the entire execution of this film needs overhauled, okay? It needs a, a redo, because it's not that the film couldn't have been good, it's just it isn't in this version of the film. Now, I don't want a sequel. I don't want a remake. I don't want any of that stuff. Oh, there might have been a sequel. My point is I don't want I don't want this to be remade or anything. I'm just saying the intent was not executed here in my view. Now, this film is hyperbole incarnate, as I put, as I put it earlier. It is intentionally so, but that doesn't mean it's good. Just because people do something on purpose does not mean that it makes a movie good. I need that to be clear. I talked about uh, Willy's Wonderland, which I'd rather watch Showgirls 15 times before I ever watch Willy's Wonderland again. That movie pissed me off. But, you know, like, it's trying to, its intention was to be this kind of schlocky, like, so bad it's good kind of cult movie, and you can't do that on purpose. And this movie wasn't done that way on purpose. I mean, the hyper the hyperbolic part of it is on purpose. You know, the ridiculousness and stuff is on purpose. That doesn't make it a good movie. But at least I get the cult following that followed because Verhoeven was being serious and trying to make this thing. But Showgirls is a wreck. Despite you know, despite that I never got bored per se, but I certainly rolled my eyes more than I'm accustomed to doing. So on that level, I gave, uh, I gave Showgirls, what did I give it here? I gave it a one and a half out of five. And, uh, you know, if you've seen Showgirls and you agree or disagree, I would actually, and I mean this sincerely, I would love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up, Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find me at uh, at Austin Glidden on Twitter. You can also email us about Basic Instinct or Showgirls at MediumCoolPod at gmail.com. Now, up next, I'm going to be uh, bringing in Joe. He's going to be back for the first time in like a month. I'm going to bring back Joe, and we're going to talk to Sam, the movie man, Watermeyer. We're going to discuss RoboCop. I'm ready for it. I hope you are, too. Let's get moving. All right, everybody. Uh, Today, we're here to celebrate Paul Verhoeven's birthday by watching RoboCop, uh, the film chosen by listeners. Uh, It was up against Total Recall, which is my personal favorite, and uh, Starship Troopers, which is another really great time. But I'm telling you, RoboCop is an as a bona fide classic uh mm-hmm. this this is just great it's um from 1987 directed by Paul Verhoeven written by Edward uh Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner uh, it was released July 17th 1987 and actually I didn't know this it earned an Oscar for special effects didn't know it actually won an Oscar found that out nice. in a little basic research uh, before we jump into a synopsis, I'm here with uh, Sam, the movie man, Watermeyer. Say hi, Sam. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you're mm-hmm. lucky. And uh, Joe, <laughs> and uh, Joe's here with us for the first time in like a month. How are you doing, I feel like Joe? I've been forever. Yeah. So uh, we're all excited about this RoboCop thing. Uh, I thought that they would be uh, good guests for this one. So here we go. 
in this dystopian reality of a crime-ridden Detroit, the evil corporation Omni Consumer Products wins a contract from the city government to privatize the police force. To test their crime-eradicating cyborgs, the company leads street cop Alex Murphy into an armed confrontation with crime lord Boddicker. Uh, so... Uh, so that they can use his body to support their untested RoboCop prototype. But when RoboCop learns of the company's nefarious plans, he turns uh, on his masters. Haunted by past memories the corporation thought were wiped clean, RoboCop also struggles with the reality that though he is largely machine, he is also part human. Paul Verhoeven is no stranger to controversy and ultra-violent outings. Uh, though RoboCop is a caricaturist criticism on police brutality, many still continue to misunderstand it to this day. The violence tends to take viewers full focus, yet Verhoeven is good at adding a variety of touches that one could interpret as containing much more meaning than others might give it. Otherwise, uh, it's just a movie where the bad guys are named Dick Jones. Uh, the super killer robot is defeated by a flight of stairs. A man falls into a vat of toxic waste and is instantly turned into a mutant fish creature thing <laughs> and then uh, is hit by a car and instantly liquefied um, <laughs> like a water balloon, basically. Well, a great scene um, of all time. But uh, to get serious, uh, are you ready for this, Joe? Because this is an actual real serious question. This isn't just uh, your give me your thoughts here. Yeah. Uh, it's a big one. How does uh, RoboCop, in your opinion, how does RoboCop play in an era where there are calls to defund the police, where we yeah. have this uh, in our current day, we have you know this very heavy political climate, and mm -hmm. RoboCop on the surface is about them making super cops to eradicate uh, mm -hmm. uh, violence and crime to start. Yeah. And I know we're kind of starting in a heavy place because I know we're going to end in like hilarity yeah. because this movie is ridiculous. But on yeah. this question, you know, how do you think this kind of fits in modern day standards? I, I think it. I think it's as relevant now as it ever was. Uh, to be honest, um, you know, yeah. There, I mean, and there's a, that movie. This movie does a lot, and of course, police brutality is is front and first and for. Or I wouldn't say first and foremost, but it, it's front. You know, front and center for sure. Um, you know, there's there's those themes of you know capitalistic you know greed and that kind of stuff, and then. Um, you know, combating crime and and then, you know, this, these ideas of of the police and how much force they should use. And yeah, in, in today's society, uh, I think it's, you know, when we have, you know, many places have militarized the police and uh, much as it was done in this film, uh, this film was pretty prescient in that way that it it kind of started, uh, you know, I guess I guess it kind of saw the trend even back then and and uh, kind of took it to the extreme to I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways a reality. I mean, obviously we don't have cyborg police officers, but, but we have robots, we have, um, you know, giant armored kind of vehicles that a lot of police forces use. And, you know, there were a lot of calls against that. We also have uh, a media that's, that, you know, hypes up this stuff and sensationalizes it and calls it out. So, I mean, this in a lot of ways is very much a, you know, very much a, almost a documentary in some ways. Um, it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of sad to say, um, but um, you know, and, and then of course, you know, corporate greed with, with, you know, kind of powerful overseers who really don't care all that much about the people who, who are, are as they would think, as they would see it, they would see as beneath them. So 
um, I, I call it as, as relevant now as more relevant now, even than it was back then. So, um, yeah. So, so Sam, I'm going to essentially allow you to comment on Joe's, uh, comments there by asking, would you buy that for a dollar? <laughs> yes, I would. Watch <laughs> reference to the movie. Um, watching this, uh, at first it was a little strange in this era where, uh, the police uh, force has kind of a tainted reputation, um, you know, especially considering this movie revolves around uh, a super cop, basically. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, glorifies him. But um, I think it's still timely. I think, you know, you were talking about uh, defunding the police. There's one scene that stood out to me where um, – a woman is being sexually assaulted and RoboCop rescues her. And not only does he rescue her, but he directs her to a rape crisis center. And that's kind of part of what defunding the police is about is, you know, not just relying on them um, in these violent situations, but also, uh, you know, having them interact with uh, actual social services um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting scene that kind of foreshadowed the sort of uh, direction we're wanting to go in terms of defunding the police and and relying more heavily on uh, social services. Um, you know, and uh, so I and you know, uh, RoboCop is ultimately an example of you know a, a good cop. Um, so I, you know, it wasn't too strange ultimately um, to watch it in in this era and this kind of climate surrounding uh, the police force. I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah, no, it's fine. I yeah, think so. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm just getting your guys' opinions here because I thought, you know, like what an interesting movie for us to choose. When in my mind I was like, man, this is going to be interesting because I actually kind of want to watch it through that lens. And then with yeah. the exception of a few things that could have never been predicted in 1987, I'm sure, you know, for it being in its time, man, Verhoeven really tackles some serious issues here. And a lot of people with a lot oh, of yeah. Verhoeven movies, both Total Recall and especially in my mind, Star- uh, Starship Troopers, which is just all caricature and, you know, but it's all v- like they're tackling very important things in Starship Troopers. You have all the propaganda video and, uh, you know, all these things about the military and, and uh, you know, the ultimate enemy. You know, they're not humans. They're monsters. You know what I mean? All, all of these ideas. And um, But RoboCop is so interesting because it is known as just this crazy, ultra-violent 80s action movie. When in reality, like, one of my favorite things about Verhoeven, and particularly this movie, is, uh, like, his dedication to kind of, like... Uh, accurate-looking technology, so to speak. I'm going to get mm-hmm. to a point, but when he shows all, like, the, the daily news, it looks like shit, and it's supposed yeah. to, like, because that's what it looked like. You know? like right. I mean, I'm not saying it's perfectly accurate, but especially with the technological advancements that we have now, it looks accurate from a 2021 perspective, you know, or, like, all the little things, like, from his eye whenever he tries to arrest uh, Dick Jones, and he mm-hmm. can't, and it, like, messes him up, and his eye, like it shows all kind of like the the augmented reality that's through his eyes. You see his POV, and uh, mm-hmm. I just love that 
you know, a lot of movies try to beautify those things. Like, they try to enhance them so they're easier to look at, but you get the sense that this is shot on a camcorder, but in reality, it's just a filter on a really nice camera. And sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like Verhoeven just chooses to shoot on the damn camcorder. <laughs> like, so to speak, not literally, but so to speak. Like, I love his dedication to that. But all of that to say, I love that he also tackles, like you mentioned, how the media sensationalizes things. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he's tackling definitely the corporate greed thing, especially since, uh, you know, they are talking about police brutality and they're talking about privatizing the police. I mean, this is almost like an eruption of reality. And by that, I mean, mm -hmm. um, like he's taking a certain mentality and pushing it so far that the people that adopt that mentality would be like, whoa, 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 that's too far. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know what I mean? Uh -huh. But he's like, he's like doing this exaggerated version just to make a point, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's such an interesting movie. Because you can watch it and not think of any of that. You yeah. know what I mean? So then that oh, yeah. gets into the idea of like, is it effective or not? For me, it is. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll tell you right now, man, I honest, every time I go into RoboCop, every single time, I think, I don't think I'm going to like this as much as I used to. And every time I feel like I like it more. Mm -hmm. Every time. And I, I, that leads me into kind of a transition to the next point. I'm going to go ahead and start with Sam here first. Uh, but... What are what about RoboCop the film connects with you? I mean, like I'm assuming you like it. If you don't, correct me. But I mean, like, like what stands out in RoboCop that just makes you go, "Man, I love this movie because of X." Like, what's X? Um, to put it very simply, I think it's because the RoboCop character is just so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Um. Like I could really, I could really re uh, relate to his creator in the movie, uh, played by Miguel Ferrer, mm -hmm. uh, who's actually kind of a sleaze bag. But at one point, he looks at RoboCop and says, "I fucking love that guy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're gonna be one bad motherfucker. I, I kind of feel yeah. the same way. He just, he looks cool. Mm -hmm. He, he's a kind of a robot with a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid, uh, the VHS box. For RoboCop was one I would pass by and Blockbuster and just kind of marvel at. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, I think RoboCop has one of the coolest superhero suits in uh, film history. Um, so, like on a very basic childlike level, I think he's just really cool. Um, I think when I watch it now, I appreciate uh, the satire. Yes. Um, the uh, and, you know, I think it's effective because uh, it's kind of in the background. It's in those news segments. It's in yeah. the commercials. Um, you know, you can appreciate it as a kid because the action is right up front. But you can appreciate it as an adult because the, the satire is kind of in the in the background. Yeah, because the family's um, playing Newcomb, which is yes, hilarious. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's it, Buster. No more federal aid or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's your sign-off. Why'd you waste it there? Yeah. Oh my god, I already got it. That's all right. Said. Good. <laughs> I like how the uh, you know the 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 hot uh, chick magnet ca uh, car in the movie is called the Six Thousand Sucks. I yeah, know, yes, dude. Yeah. I never yeah. ever retained that. I'm sure I picked it up, but uh -huh. the Sux thing, I was like, that has to be. Like the six thousand sucks, right? Like that has yeah. to be the thing. It's really funny, yeah. <laughs> it was something like six miles to the gallon gas mileage or something, yeah. And and you know the the 
bulky robot, the ED-209. I mean, it's called the ED, and it doesn't function well. It has erectile dysfunction. Um, (laughs) um, You know, there's just little touches like that that are so great. I love the the clunky uh, animatronics. Yeah. uh, But they actually uh, look pretty, like, not... Well, no, they did it a lot better at that time. I was about to say, like, I was surprised it didn't look as bad as I remembered, but mm-hmm. there is, like, a charm to it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of, yeah, that kind of, the the crudeness of it is charming, and, yeah. and you know, the the uh, the robotic effects are, are great. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's a great movie for kids. I fell in love with it when I was a kid, and uh, and I still love it now. <laughs> it's a great movie for kids with all the ultra violence and yeah, and well, the cocaine I, I, snorting I, and all that. But you know, maybe the TV edit, which we'll probably talk about at some point. But yeah, oh yeah, we will. <laughs> I was watching Terminator Two when I was four years old, so I have kind of a warped idea of what is good for kids. Yeah, but I think I turned out okay. <laughs> Uh, to be to be he decided. Really um, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, moving on to Joe though. Oh, actually, before sure. before, well, I already forgot what I was going to say to Sam. Joe, uh, oh. what do you, I know? You love this. This is a yeah. fucking five star letterboxed movie for you. Yes, it is. What yeah, do you love about this movie, man? It's probably one of my top ten movies, uh, favorite movies. Um, I, I actually at one point in my letterbox, I had it in my top four. I'm not sure. I might still have it in the top four. Um, but yeah, the so I, I you know the Sam gave his context for when he first discovered this movie. I, I assume, but I remember in 1987 I lived in Germany on the army base. My my stepdad was in the army, so I I lived on the army base, and I remember seeing the poster on the, at the base movie theater, and I thought, my God, I need to see this movie. Like I don't know what this. I have not heard anything about this movie, but I need to see part man, part machine, all cop. <laughs> and and I saw it. I think it was the following year I saw it on VHS and I just fell in love with everything about it. Yes. The, the first and foremost, just the idea of a cyborg cop. Um, The violence was off the charts for a movie like that. Even the, even in the eighties, you know, when there were cop movies galore and there was, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Chuck Norris and people just blowing stuff up all over the place and shooting people, mass casualties like this movie brought a realism to it all and you know with with the you know the the way the bullets hit and you know the way that the like bullets like tear flesh apart in this movie the the wit of the movie is insane it's got yeah it's got just this really madcap kind of sensibility to it the the satire is just so over the top and and right in your face and i i just i love everything about it um um, you know, Peter Weller was is amazing. It's the first time I'd ever seen Peter Weller in anything. And then there were, you know, there's guys like, you know, the, the bad guys, like the bad guys are in a lot of ways, just the stars. And I love the way that they, they show off Dick Jones and Bob Morton and, and Clarence Boddicker and just let them, just let them loose and let them be insane. So <laughs> there's, there's so much about this movie that I love. And the, the smallest details are, are such a thing, you know, the, um, you know, I'd buy that for a dollar that, that little, like that, that TV show within the movie that everybody watches 
is, and, and it's funny, it's something I'd never really thought about until really just till today, we were talking about this before we started recording. I, I didn't think about the, the context of the kind of the capitalist, you know, the capitalism of it, that, that, that catchphrase is I'd buy that for a dollar. And that a lot of this movie is about that, that corporate greed and that, you know, just sheer materialism and, you know, and that, that just kind of permeates through the movie. It just is peppered there, just at seemingly random spots. And, you know, the, the guys sit there and like crack up there. That, that's the thing, like, especially the bad guys are all sitting there at just these random times. And that's what they're watching on TV. They stop what they're doing and they're just watching it on TV. At, at one point, I think um, one of the characters like, like shoots out a storefront because it's yeah, playing on the yeah. TVs in the window. And so he can turn it up and watch it. And he just sits there and cracks up at it while the, like, the city is burning around him. So yeah, it's, ox- it's, it's, uh, it's acid guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emil is, is the character's name, um, and he is just—he is so great in this movie. As All like, of he's those like, bad guys are, aren't they? Every one of them are. Yeah, and yeah, the, every one of them are, are great. There's, you know, the 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 cackling guy, and you know, then I mean, uh, Ray Wise plays Leon. I think he's probably like the least interesting one of them, and he's just—I mean—he's just, I mean, just kind of there. But uh, but you know, yeah, Kurtwood Smith, um, who would go on to fame on um that 70s show uh playing Clarence Boddicker is kind of the the main he's the main sub bad guy yeah. <laughs> because because you know the OCP and, and Dick Jones especially are kind of played as the villains of this movie but he's like the main heavy so there's there's so much going on there there's so many levels and layers to it uh, I love that you know the the scene where Ed 209 just straight murders one of the guys in the boardroom and and everybody's pissed off, but they're mad because they're not mad because a guy is dead. They're mad because this is going to set them back. You know, this is going to set them back. back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dick Jones is worried that, you know, while this guy is laying with, you know, his flesh ripped apart by giant bullet holes, he's worried about, Oh man, this is going to set us back. Now we're not going to get this contract. And, you know, so (laughs) there's, there's just so much going on. It's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, while we're on it, I love the performances. First off, another thing I love about Paul Verhoeven mo- movies, especially the RoboCop Total Recall era, are the mm-hmm. special effects. And not, I'm not talking about ED two hundred nine or whatever. I'm talking about yeah. like Peter Weller in the suit, yeah, with his face, like the makeup tying into the suit, so it just yeah. looks so good. Um, mm-hmm. And his body movements, like, dude, he had to do the robot for w- months to get that down because yes. I think he's actually just really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have, you know, like 80s hottie Nancy Allen, who was in everything and was like yes. the the sex symbol uh, that I remember her being. Uh, also, shout out to the uh, Brian De Palma film Blowout because she was in that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, of course, Ronnie Cox is Dick Jones. So good. I mean, yeah. I, and we'll get to the bathroom scene because because that yes, scene is just <laughs> the greatest. Uh, yeah. I might even have to play the clip or something in this episode oh, man, I hope so. because it's it's just too good. Um, yeah. If you've never seen RoboCop, I'm going to try to be able. I'm going to try to make it happen so you can hear this clip because I can't imagine uh, anyone going on with life without seeing that clip. Uh, well, you won't see it, but you'll hear it. Anyways, uh, Kurtwood Smith. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. This dude as Clarence, Mm -hmm. you'd never know that he could be a good soul or like a funny guy. He's the worst in the best way. I really love that guy. Uh, Sam, you brought up uh, Miguel, uh, what is it, Ferrer? Uh, Miguel Morton. 
Yeah. Dude, this guy is a scumbag, and I don't think there's ever he's ever not been a scumbag in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, if, yeah, if yeah. he has, I have never seen that movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he plays such a great scumbag. He's yeah. so great. Uh, everyone and Ray Weiss, of course, a lot of people might know him from um, like Twin Peaks or uh, other David Lynch films, which is what I mostly attribute him to. But not that he's almost unrecognizable. It's, it's difficult to not recognize Ray Weiss. Like he has a very distinct look. But man, he like looks different in this. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Kurtwood Smith, who looks the same forever. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, Ray Weiss looks great. So if you're if you're a David Lynch fan, you know we've got uh, the great Ray Weiss. Uh, and like you said, Joe, he doesn't really. He's not necessarily doing a ton in this movie, but he's mm-hmm. there. And that seems yeah. to be like a lot of these people. I mean, there are so many people in this movie. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, there, there's so much going on with these performances. I, I really love them. All the bad guys, all of uh, Clarence's crew, like we talked about, just perfect. Yeah. And and it's but it's all consistent. Like it's it's all caricature ish. And uh, a perfect example of that, like I said, is is the uh, is when uh, Dick Jones is in the bathroom with Morton. Congratulations, Bob. Thanks. I remember when I was a young executive for this company. I used to call the old man funny names. Iron Butt. Boner. Once I even called him... Asshole. But there was always respect. I always knew where the line was drawn. And you just stepped over it, buddy boy. You've insulted me. And you've insulted this company with that bastard creation of yours. I had a guaranteed military sale with Ed 209. Renovation program. Spare parts for 25 years. Who cares if it worked or not? The old man thought it was pretty important. Dick. You know, he's a sweet old man. And he means well. But he's not going to live forever. And I'm number two around here. Pretty simple math, huh, Bob? You just fucked with the wrong guy. And uh, Joe, I know you're excited about this, so I'm just going <laughs> to hand it to you. And um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got uh, I've got Ronnie Cox's uh, monologue down there, where you know it's it, and it's one of my yeah one of my favorite scenes ever, where um, you know Bob Morton is like the guy on the rise. You know, if you've not, if you've not seen this movie, as as Austin said, my God, watch it now. But um, yeah, so this scene, you know, uh, Bob Morton is in the, he's got the executive washroom keys and he thinks he's a big shot. And so he's he's boasting to another guy about, oh, how he's going to do an end run around Dick Jones and take his job and all this stuff. Well, Dick Jones is, is in the can behind him in one of the stalls and you hear the toilet flush and he comes walking out and everybody clears the room. And, you know, and, and, and Bob Morton's like, I just got to sit here and take this. And, and he's, oh, I, I used to, I used to make fun of the old man. I called him all kinds of names. Iron butt, boner, 
one time I even called him asshole and you know and he ends up you know so there's this whole thing and and he ends up like grabbing him by the hair he like pulls bob morton's hair and he you know he's like you just fucked up or you know or something wait 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 Uh, wait 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 very important uh, detail yes dick jones yes he pulls his hair but at first he like like homoerotically like touches his hair before he just Uh like quickly yanks it it's the most awkward the whole thing is so weird yeah so weird yeah it's very like scenery chewing yeah and he's he caresses his hair and and then he grabs his hair aggressively you know there's this whole like exchange between them but yeah it's such a great scene and you know and i I mentioned to you again uh before we came on here that this movie also has one of the great tv edit versions of all time and that (laughs) scene that scene the word asshole is changed to airhead and it just it takes the it takes just all the steam out of it you know it's like i used to call old man names iron butt boner once i even called him airhead (laughs) (laughs) just like like, what the hell is that and see that's how i was introduced to robocop uh is i saw it on tv that's so i remember being at my cousin's house and uh his dad had the uh the vhs of it so we put it in we're gonna watch it and when yeah. I first saw uh, Murphy's hand blow off when he's about yeah. when he's getting blown away, uh-huh. I had no idea that was in the movie. Yeah. So when oh, he, yeah. and whenever whenever they sh- whenever uh, Clarence shoots him through the head, yeah. No, I I'm, I'd never seen anything like this. I, I'm like yeah. nine, you know? uh-huh. <laughs> So uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not as fucked up as Sam, but I'm you know close. <laughs> and then um and then uh then whenever Acid Dude. Gets uh-huh. like squashed like a water balloon, basically. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this stuff fucked me up, but in like kind of a yeah. cool way because I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Like this hap- this exists, you That's know. But uh, man, yeah. it was wild. But back to this bathroom scene because it is just too yeah. great. Uh, Sam, yeah. when you first saw this, can you remember? And if not, just tell us about your last viewing. But do you remember the first time you saw this? How you reacted to the bathroom scene, which I think <laughs> we can all agree stands out, not in a bad way, but just as like. This scene you have to remember because it's just uh-huh. like, like who can watch that scene and not remember it? It's so great. And it's yeah. like so silly. It's just the best, man. But Sam, my question to you, go for it. Yes. Um, well, the first time I watched this, I was very young. Mm. So I, it didn't like burn through my brain. But this time I loved the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that uh, Dick Jones doesn't wash his hands before yes. confronting uh, Bob Morton. Um, uh, that made the uh, the little hair caress tease even more uncomfortable. Because uh-huh. um, we all know he took a shit. Right. There's yeah, no he, can he, he in this. Stall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of the scene in the movie Wolf uh, with uh, Jack Nicholson and James Spader. Uh, where uh, you know James Spader's the the young hotshot trying to mm-hmm. to take over uh, Jack Nicholson's position, and Jack Nicholson pisses on his shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of thing would have would have uh, would have not been out of place in this bathroom scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a really uh, you know tense exchange. It, it's like male confrontation porn. <laughs> um, 
it's just, if you're into to to just men being men and getting in each other's faces, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, you'll you'll be in uh, male confrontation porn geek heaven with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a step below um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers in the uh, in the scene oh. in Predator where they arm wrestle without a table. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're high fiving, they're like shaking they, hands. Like yeah, they like strong style muscles. shake hands, but then they just turn it into an arm wrestle. Um, yeah. that's pretty great. But anyways, <laughs> talking about more eighties ridiculous eighties action movies. There you go. Yeah. Um, we'll have to do Predator sometime. I would like to yeah. rewatch that and talk about it. Yeah. Anyways, back to RoboCop. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry, Joe, you you had other yeah. things. What what else? What else about no, that? Well, I mean, uh, you know, from that, you know, that scene specifically is, is one of my favorites, and that, that's that's incredible. And then, and then you, I, I guess the almost the bookend to that scene is is later on when when Dick Jones has Bob Morton killed, and um, you know he he plays the uh, he sends Clarence and he plays the videotape. He he kneecaps Bob Morton and the the oh my god the, the speaking of the lines when when he walks in. And he uh, he looks at the women and he goes, "Bitches leave," and they just <laughs> they take off <laughs> And that that's another one that you just you know you just walk you can just walk into a room with your buddies and they're like, "Bitches leave," and you know he he comes in and he, you know he shoots him and you know Bob Morton's pleading for his life and he plays the tape and you know you know Dick is basically taunting him uh, from afar. And uh, he he just kills him with a grenade. <laughs> it's just it's it's such you know it's just everything in this movie is like that, and and it just it is just the it's the greatest. There's there's a million lines in this movie that you can just quote. Um, uh, my you know my other favorite one is right at the beginning when when Clarence kills one of his his uh, thugs who gets shot during a police chase, and he he says he looks at him, he goes, "Can you fly, Bobby?" And he proceeds to throw them out of the back onto the cop cars as they're chasing them. They have, they have like this, I don't know, it's like a bread truck or something. Uh, so it's just like, there's just so many lines like that. And we haven't even gotten to RoboCop yet. You know, RoboCop, of course, all of his lines are, are practically catchphrases, keeping in with the, the 80s action hero theme. Yep. And, and all of these characters around them have all of these lines that are so memorable um, that, that you can just quote, and they're instantly recognizable from this movie. So um, that, that's, you know, that, that quotability is, is something that, it, you know, just I mean, really kind of takes it to the next level for me to, to, to go from just a great satire, a, a marvelous action movie, but just so memorable in so many ways that, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's visual scenes, like you said, the, 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 the water balloon squashing scene that, you know, the various scenes where RoboCop shooting people or stabbing people or, you know, people getting, thrown off of balconies and shootouts in a cocaine factory. And there's just all this stuff going, going on with, you know, gigantic guns everywhere. And, um, you know, it's just, there's, there's just a list of ways this movie is so great. And I just, I, it's like, it's hard to even get through all of them because there's so many of them. Yeah. And you know what I found interesting watching this and Sam, I'll be curious how you feel about this. Uh, I realized that none of the action scenes in the movie are really all that cool. Like, just mm-hmm. think about it. Because you, know, you have a guy in a yeah. suit who's acting like a robot. He's only yeah. going to do so much, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't do that many cool things. 
and no, yeah. and you just have guys like running around and blowing up with like giant squibs exploding blood everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's it. There's nothing particularly cool about it, and yet this mm-hmm. movie is still so badass. And it's like for yeah. for it being like this '80s action, at least like you know in uh uh like at least in Predator, you have like the the kind of cat and mouse chase of of Arnold Schwarzenegger and and the the uh the Predator. Um mm-hmm. and you know with um with uh like Die Hard which would be kind of in a different uh kind of subgenre maybe but with mm-hmm. Die Hard like they use that building they use every spot of that building you're in like ducts and you're in mm-hmm. uh different rooms and different floors and elevators i mean they're really using a lot of stuff that make that much more interesting to me and a lot of the action sequences get pretty intense you know because Especially whenever you know you have a barefoot protagonist, that always leads mm-hmm. to problem when there's glass breaking. Um, but this movie is literally like just RoboCop being a bullet sponge and just shooting yeah. people. Like it's not that cool. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, if you think about it, there really aren't that many action sequences. It's yeah. really Peter Weller gets blown to smithereens pretty much by being shot by a billion shotguns, mm-hmm. and then uh, he tur- he's turned into this RoboCop prototype. And then he has a couple of shootouts, but he's really just trying to figure out what these weird flash memories are in his brain. Yeah. And then he realizes that he is human, or partially. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he kind of just kills people and it's over. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty simple. But, Sam, I'm going I'm to pass it to you. Like, how do you feel about the action sequence? And that's not a dig. I've already expressed I love this movie. But um, but it's so. Do you agree that it is just like really interesting that the action sequences really aren't that good? But for you, what's what is the draw then? Because this is one of those '80s action movies. We've already talked about the subtext with with all of the you know all the other stuff going on that Verhoeven puts in. <laughs> that's super annoying. Sorry, folks, if you can hear like a random siren going by. That, that's, that's that's Alex Murphy coming after you. Yeah, it's because I called him <laughs> a bitch. Action sequences suck. no they don't but that's the thing they don't suck they're just not wowing right like yeah or or like like that i'm sorry sam i'm about passed it to you and i'm like bogarting this again but like think of like the scene you brought up sam where where uh the woman's about to be raped and they the uh the uh the uh predator not to uh confuse with the movie the predator but the uh the uh the assault ist The perp. The, the perp, there you go, uh, is holding the woman up as like a shield, and then RoboCop basically uses his kick-ass super futuristic targeting software and shoots the dude right in the dick, right between her legs because she was picked up. And it's yeah. like, that's like a funny gimmick scene, right? Like, that's like supposed to be this silly thing, even though what's happening is very serious. But, uh, man, it's like sometimes hard for me to pinpoint, like, what is this movie even doing? That makes it so entertaining. Sam, I'm passing it off to you. Well, I'm going to get a little broad first. I I think um, you make a really interesting point about 80s action movies in general. Um, There's really not that much complex action in a lot of these movies that we remember being action-packed. I was just thinking about uh, Batman. Um, The action scenes in that are pretty clunky, too. Like, take the a museum uh, break-in scene. Uh, You know, there's a moment where Batman holds what looks to be a gun in front of one of the thug's faces, 
and it's just uh, it's like a grappling hook type thing. Yeah. And he grabs Kim Basinger and and they get away. It's it's a very quick sequence. Not much really happens. Um, and you know, in this movie, uh, you're right. There are sequences where RoboCop basically just punches a guy or <laughs> yeah. shoots a guy. And like that's the end of the the action scene. Or you have the hostage sequence. Sorry, where uh, the guy's in there and RoboCop just breaks through a wall and gets him. Like, like yeah. that's like yeah. the setup's awesome, but it's just instantly over. And of course, their point is he's a badass, and that's what it conveys. But mm-hmm. to make your point, it like is very surprising that like that's it. It's over. But continue, please. Um. Uh, but I don't know. I almost prefer that to. Uh, action in a lot of movies today that are basically just these chaotic messes masquerading as action scenes where you can't really tell what's going on. I would rather, you know, clearly see the hero punch a few guys than, yeah, you know, uh, just a bunch of shit flying around and, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, so I, I don't know. And, I think part of what makes it still entertaining is what I said earlier in that uh, RoboCop is just so cool and has such a powerful presence. Mm -hmm. I think that makes you overlook the simplicity and kind of clunkiness of the action scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is great. Uh, I'm watching it this time. I was really struck by the style. I have the, uh, and for those uh, nerdy fans that still buy physical media, I have the Arrow video uh, copy of RoboCop, which I have to say is worth your money. This is the greatest fucking restoration. There's no, I mean, like, I like, like, grainy looks of old movies shot on film, but Mm -hmm. this looks so good, I was kind of blown away. But anyways, um... But, dude, this movie's all style. Like, that's really all I can think of that keeps me coming back every time. Because a lot of movies would just go straight forward. It, I've already explained that really not a ton happens. Like, there's a clear story, but mm-hmm. you could tell the story in half the time without the style, right? And so, yeah. like, I mean, again, back to all of those, like, the commercials made for the the movie, all the news clips, the TV show mm-hmm. with I'd Buy That for a Dollar, uh, hanging out with these bad guys. Uh, of course, every single scene you learn something because whenever you hang out with yeah. the bad guys, something else is happening, uh, mm-hmm. of course. And you have that great scene where Clarence takes his dudes to the uh, the, the cocaine factory and is talking to the uh, guy running it and you know tries yeah. to kind of bully that guy. And that's a great scene. Yeah. Um, shit's new for a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, for me, I think it's just the style. Like, uh, cause you, and, and it's, um, there's almost like this auteur factor where you see him do that style for many movies after. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, Total Recall being very, I think you could watch Robocop and Total Recall and very clearly tell that this is yeah. the same filmmaker. You know, there's like a lot of like through lines with how he does special effects, mm-hmm. uh, all of his extra style things, for example, in Total Recall, not to get off topic fully, but, uh, you know, they have the moment where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to decide whether he wants to, you know, uh, uh, do this uh, virtual reality thing or whatever. And they show yeah. him this video that's supposed to give him all the information like that he needs to know, you know, like this promo video or whatever. And it's very much like the news sequences or the 
or the uh, the uh, what am I trying to commercials and things, you know, and this. He's sure. just so good at creating this style that comes off so cheesy at times and caricature-ish. But again, I think beyond the style, I think it's like he actually makes some really good points subtextually. Uh, as we talked about with the greed and and uh, the police brutality and all those things that just really, I think that's what allows this to really last the test of time. Joe, Joe yeah. what say you? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And 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 the thing of it is the the things that go the 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 themes that he throws in there. The the really he's talking about policy too, which seems very dry on the surface. But there's all of this this context about you know, OCP bidding to take over the police. And then the police want to go on strike. And they're like, the, and, you know, then, uh, you know, the, the, the captain, uh, Johnson, I think his name is not Johnson, um, uh, Sergeant Reed, the Sergeant, you know, he, you know, they're like, we're, we're police. We don't go on strike, you know? And it's like, you know, so there's like this union versus the corporations and, you know, it's like, you know, police are public servants. Like, why are they in a union? And then it's like, can they strike? And what happens when they strike? And so like all of that is in there, you, you know, and it's all, but it's all so behind the scenes that it's, it's captured in dialogue a little bit and it, it doesn't, it doesn't bog the movie down really at all. Uh, it's just there for you kind of to think about. And then, the, and that's where those news broadcasts kind of come in as well as they, they kind of lay a lot of that out and they, they lay out OCP and how they're, you know, their, their corporate red tape. And it's like, it's not even red tape that's keeping them down. It's their active, their active, um, like disdain for the world, right? Like they they just don't care about people. If people die, so what? They're making money, and you know it's it's almost like in a way they they enjoy it. So and and so all of that is out there as as things that that you know even at the time was you know were were things that were real and and still to this day are are still real as is that kind of policy of you know we're going to do things that we know are going to lead to people dying violently and painfully. And horribly, and we just don't really care because, hey, look at this. You know, look at what we got. We got some money out of it. We're rich, so it's uh, it, it's you know, it's it's pretty terrible in that way. So um, th this is a movie. You know, you talk about Total Recall. This is a movie. Um, also, uh, you know, Starship Troopers. The other one we've been talking about a little bit. There's that through line there also with, yep. you know, kind of the expendability of of the the poor or the less rich, um, and you know that that idea of in you know in RoboCop, it's they're tearing down old Detroit to create Delta city, which is going to, which is, you know, just gentrification, right? They're, yeah. they're tearing down the old, you know, the old, uh, if some of the poor people get killed along the way, so be it. Yeah. They want to bring know, new, they, they want to bring new money in. Yes. Yeah. They want to build the shiny, shiny new city to have something to, to, you know, polish their laurels about and, you know, say they created something at the expense of the lives of, of poor people. So, um, and, and there's just there's just this carnage everywhere throughout the movie, and you know, and that's that's all part of of Verhoeven's bigger point that you know he carries on through Total Recall and Starship Troopers and and a few other films too, I think along the way, but uh, but notably those two, those two. Yeah, and and it is a great trilogy. I've done it before. It's been yeah. far longer than a decade, probably, but uh, I I have I have done that tri that uh, triple feature before. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great. And th there is a through line, especially when you watch them back to back. I need to rewatch Starship Troopers. It's been mm -hmm. a very long time. Um, yeah. But Total Recall, not as long. But uh, I think I watched it when the re remake came out. 
So I watched the original. That was probably yeah. the last time I did it. Um, but I, I want to talk a bit broader about Paul Verhoeven. I know that uh, RoboCop is the movie that listeners chose. Um, mm-hmm. But with larger Paul Verhoeven, you know, we're talking about RoboCop. <clears throat> uh, again, Total Recall and Starship Troopers, definitely go check those out as well. All three of the films that we uh, had up for the listeners pull are great. But uh, have you guys seen the uh, RoboCop sequels? And mm-hmm. uh, do you remember them well enough to say anything about them? I have. Um, I, I was I was almost going to bring up RoboCop 2 earlier. I actually watched that fairly recently. Um, it, it was not directed by Paul Verhoeven, but it tries to keep the style. A lot of the style is the same, um, where they um, they use the the commercials. And there's actually a very good one to open the movie where a guy is uh, trying to steal a car and he gets electrocuted. And and it's it's got a, a great cameo by John Glover right there at the beginning. Um, and it's you know, it's it's not a great movie by any means. It's it's probably a pretty bad movie, honestly. But I remember when that came out, I was so excited to see it. <laughs> and um, there's it, it has a lot of that same attitude, but it also does take advantage of the clunkiness of of Robocop. And there there is the scene where he gets very easily outsmarted and and pinned in and defeated by by bad guys um just using like a uh, like a giant metal hook like the the kind that would be on like a crane and and then they just basically like jackhammer him because once he's knocked down he can't really get up yeah and then that leads to the creation of the more agile and and you know more evil robocop 2 who is um who kind of continues that ed 209 kind of rivalry but in a you know with a a more malevolent kind of you know force behind it with uh with the drug dealer and all that stuff so um like i said it's not a great movie it actually also transfers um the the villain to um the old man as i think is um is all he's known as yeah um which is again how ronnie cox refers to him um in the in that bathroom scene it's played by dan O'Herlihy, um who's kind of a a long time like slime bag you know uh, character actor. He plays a lot of dirt bags and um, he, he certainly isn't, he, he is in this movie in a more subtle way. Um, uh, you know, and, and he has the line in this movie after the guy gets murdered, he just is like, Dick, this is most disappointing. You know, and it's like, yeah. there's a man laying dead and this is what he's, you know, this is how he's got, but then in the second one, he becomes the bad guy. Um, uh, Robocop three, I saw, I think I've just seen once or twice. Uh, there's um, they have there's a different man playing RoboCop. It's um, oh god, I forgot that. Oh. Yeah, um, he's the guy who was in Thinner, Stephen King's Thinner, a few years later. Robert John Burke, I think, is his name. Um, and there and there was a TV series too that was pretty terrible. Um, and I think there was someone else even playing RoboCop in that. But um, but the the TV series I think lost a lot of the 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 third movie did lost more of that satire and then the the tv series i think definitely did um which i just watched a few times and i was like yeah this sucks so it's like it's not (laughs) you know it was not very good but but you know you know um, what's interesting though is mm -hmm. if and this is why a lot of times i didn't do it this time and i should have but this is why i mentioned the budgets and box offices a lot and joe knows this because every time this movie didn't do as well as i would have predicted it oh yeah it was 13.7 million dollars to make and it only mm-hmm. made $53.4 million, which is a huge I – mean, it's a success. Don't get me wrong, especially at the yeah, time. Yeah. But I uh-huh. would have expected like $200 million. Like I just thought it was yeah. like this huge success, and it was definitely a success. 
but this is no sure. like Terminator, you know, or like whatever else that totally. we've like looked at that did really well, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then RoboCop 2, I thought, well, RoboCop was really popular. Maybe more people went to see RoboCop 2. It cost between $25 and $30 million, only made 45.7 mil, which wow. is crazy. And the RoboCop yeah. 3 was $22 million, only made $47 million. So none yeah. of these were actual, I mean, they were all successes, don't get me wrong, but yeah. like none of these were the groundbreaking box office record-making movies I would mm-hmm. have assumed because of the reputation that we have now. Um, yeah. And it kind of makes me sad that I'm sure the RoboCop remakes that came out in the last decade, or mm-hmm. remake rather, uh, probably made more money than this movie did. Yeah, and this yeah. is the jam. This movie, I'm telling oh, you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I did make it out like Paul Verhoeven did make the sequels. I kind of changed. I switched gears midway through. So I'm glad sure, that sure. you uh, called that out. He did not make the second and third. But uh, Sam, I'm going to pass it to you. I don't know if uh, you've seen many Paul Verhoeven movies. Uh, but feel free to tell us uh, what you have and how do you feel about Verhoeven at large since we're celebrating his birthday today? Uh, how do you feel about Verhoeven? Um, I, I like him a lot. Um, let's see. I've seen this, obviously, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, um, Hollow Man I'm a big fan of. Hmm. Um you know, obviously, Basic Instinct. Um, he did a, a more serious movie a few years ago called uh, L. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think uh, he has a great sense of humor. I think his, his films have a great sense of humor, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to kind of be both appealing to and commenting on the kind of basest desires that uh, moviegoers have. You know, there's uh, ultra-violence, there's nudity in his films. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're very over-the-top. And um, I, I think it's almost like RoboCop, uh, Starship Troopers, and even Total Recall to some degree, I think are are kind of almost a commentary on like American excess mm-hmm. um in a way um I uh I I'm a I'm a big Verhoeven fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's uh you know he he's a a a Danish filmmaker if I remember correctly uh, originally yeah. and uh uh he has some films the the one I've been if I ever did a Verhoeven um uh, marathon. I would start with Turkish Delight, which is his uh, movie from 1973. I've watched the trailer, but I've never seen any of his old stuff, and it actually looks pretty great. Um, not in like RoboCop great, but like interesting. I want to see what he did, uh, kind of uh, in his uh, native country. But then, yeah, like you know, he goes on, and RoboCop's kind of the first big one. I mean, he did the Fourth Man, but that RoboCop is clearly like kind of the first big one. I forgot he did Basic yeah. Instinct. But yeah, he had yeah. RoboCop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, uh, the infamous Showgirls, Starship yeah. Troopers, Hollow Man, Black Book, uh, Tricked. I never got around to L um, that year. I was watching movies, and I had uh, a list, but I didn't quite get to it. It's one I've wanted to r- go back to. And then this year, he's supposed to be uh, releasing Benedetta, which uh, yeah. I'm hoping is also really good. So I need to kind of revisit some of these newer ones. Quite frankly, I need to revisit, revisit all of them because I've always been a fan. He's always been a guy that when I see he's making a movie, I want to see it. 
you know, and I haven't watched any of his stuff since Hollow Man. So pretty much the entire everything for the last twenty years, <laughs> uh, I have not yeah. seen anything he's done. I never saw Black Book, which a lot of people actually live like they will fight for that movie. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why I haven't seen it, so I'll have to check it out mm-hmm. sometime. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he is really interesting. Uh, Joe, I'm going to pass it to you real mm-hmm. quick and uh, your general feelings on Paul Verhoeven yeah. since we're celebrating his birthday. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I remember sneaking off to go see Showgirls in the 90s when I was in college. <laughs> and um, yeah, Total Recall, um, you know, I mean, RoboCop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers are, you know, probably, I don't know. I, I don't know, but they're they're all like upper tier films to me. Um, in terms of action films and the you know the satire of them, Basic Instinct you know was a a huge success. Um, you know it, it's stuff like like Hollow Man I wasn't as huge a fan of at the time, um, but I I did see L also and I thought it was I thought it was pretty it wasn't as good as these other ones but it was a solid movie. Um, but yeah he's he's somebody that doesn't make a ton of movies. Um, it's just that it seems like you know during that stretch he made a lot of really, if not great ones, really like controversial movies, movies that have, that were talked about a lot at the time, especially Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Um, but it, it, yeah, it is funny that of, of all of those movies, um, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to guess that Total Recall was probably the biggest hit of those um, uh, in terms of box office for sure, um, having Schwarzenegger in it. But um, um Starship Troopers, if I remember, was was a pretty big flop um, financially. Um, Showgirls was a pretty big flop um, as for as much attention as it got. Um, Basic Instinct is probably next, I would assume. I'm not sure what you know. I, I'm I'm just totally guessing on that. Sure. But um, uh, and, and Hollow Man is probably up there too in terms of box office, I would assume. But um, but yeah, I mean these are these are all pretty you know relatively memorable films. Um, from the years that they were out, you know, I mean, Basic Instinct and Showgirls were probably the most controversial movies of their years um, and, and got tons of attention for that. And, and of course, Basic Instinct kind of made Sharon Stone um, and, you know, just was, you know, kind of next level. And it spurred a whole a whole, you know, new crop of kind of the mainstream erotic thrillers yeah. um, that came out after that and kind of in the wake of that. So he's he's been influential um, there aren't a lot of people who can pull off the satire the way he does. Yeah. Um, I think that's really what sets him apart. Um, it, is that, that trilogy of, of RoboCop total recall and, and starship troopers, but, um, there, you know, he, he does, has done a lot. And, and I think, I think the last 15, 20 years, he's kind of just made the movies he's wanted to make, which is, which is great. Yeah. You know, I'll say, I'll say this real quick. Uh, just to, to confirm your feelings. I'm pretty sure total yeah. recall is his biggest, uh, it was. It took cost fifty to sixty million. Made two hundred sixty-one million dollars, which is what I thought RoboCop would be. Not quite to that extent. Uh-huh. And I recognize that it doesn't have the star power of Schwarzenegger, uh-huh. but I really thought it would be more. Of course, Total Recall was a huge hit. Also, yeah. uh, a lot of people forget it was based on a Philip K. Dick short story called "We Can Remember It for You Wholesale," which I yeah. love that. Uh, I love that title. It's kind of like the do androids dream of electric sheep and blade runner. Like Philip K. Dick's titles are the greatest. Like, yeah, I like these names for the movies, but I, part of me wishes that they were still that. (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't be as marketable. Like I get it. Like there's a lot to it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I really love Verhoeven. I I'm gonna, uh, 
pass this off to both of you guys. We can start with Sam. Any final thoughts about RoboCop before we uh, before we close this conversation up? Um, <clears throat> I I can see how people might be hesitant to revisit this movie in the kind of climate surrounding uh, police. Um, but I would say that there's a lot more to it than its depiction of, uh, policemen and women. Um, you know, obviously it's about, uh, you know, uh, big tech and, and, you know, big business, corporate greed. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't dismiss it as just sort of a, a glorification of, of cops and kind of a depiction of a super cop. I think, there, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so I would encourage people to, to to not dismiss it and to to revisit it. Maybe it holds up really well. Um, uh, yeah, I just I had a blast with it. I'm, I'm really glad uh, we watched this. Yeah. Joe, yeah. same yeah. question. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it is an absolute classic. Um, you need. Yeah. You need to watch it. Um, for me, this was definitely a movie that that kind of colored my my political views in a lot of ways, um, and and it's one that does it. You know, for me, it did it in in a, a really fun and subtle way because I used to just as a kid, I just watched like I was aware of some of the like that the the corporations were the bad guys and that the the cops that you know it was like. But you know, I was watching it and I was like, man, this this violence, the cops like like RoboCop just blows people away. Like this is. You know, seeing kind of the results of that, that, you know, that blood, it it was disturbing, you know, in a sense as a kid. Um, it, it was kind of like it's hard to to cheer at times, you know, when when he's just like he just at one point, he's just like throwing a guy through glass through like coolers in the, this convenience store. He's just like going from one to the next. Right. And yeah. it's almost the guy's almost defending himself at that point, even though he was a robber. Right. It's so, you know, there's there's definitely that statement that he's making. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it just, it does so much. It says so much. And um, it, it's a movie you really, if you haven't seen it for a while, watch it again. And um, I, I actually, I did not even watch it again to, you know, before our discussion today. Um, the last time I watched it was, I mean, probably a couple of months ago, I've, but I've seen it so many times. It's, it's one of those movies that, that you watch so many times and you, you kind of see new stuff. And uh, there's just so much overload and, and just so much, there's so much gore and so much just like general dark humor that, it, you know, you just laugh. There, uh, there's a there's a, a sequence of um, like man on the street interviews that I didn't even talk about with this one <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the one dude that was like a burnout, and he was just like, I don't know, man. There's just stuff. There's just stuff going on, and it's just stuff's going. And he just like he has this like goofy laugh, and it's just like it's it's all it's all just so amazing, and it all just clicks together so well that it, it's it's almost a perfect movie for me. So. Um, yeah, I, I think if you've never seen it, man, you got screw the remake. Don't even bother with that stuff. Watch this and, and just see how incredible uh, a statement a filmmaker can make in a very mainstream way. And then go watch Starship Troopers because that's another one that people just have glossed over and missed the, um, the subtext of, uh, and you know, Paul Verhoeven is a master just through those two movies of, of doing that. Um, and, and you really owe it to yourself to watch them both. Yeah, uh, you know, on that note, I also encourage people, not only do I encourage you to go watch RoboCop and Starship Troopers and Total Recall, uh, but with RoboCop, please watch it. But also remember, not only was this made in 1987, 
um, because I think it still holds up and it's generally entertaining. But like, mm-hmm. please don't just write it off whenever you see ED two hundred nine, and you know he's like this stop no. motion thing. If you're not into like clunky old animation, yeah. you know, uh, I think it's still effective and really cool looking, even though you know it's mm-hmm. fake. Um, yeah. and, and by the way, if I can say one thing about Ed two hundred nine, the when when RoboCop takes it out in the staircase, right, like, and it falls over, the squeals that they use. It's like a dinosaur. So incredible. My God, it is so great. It's like a, yeah, it's like a dinosaur slash pig. It like, it it roars at one point, then it falls and it's just like squealing like a pig as it's like flopping around trying to get up. And it's it's so incredible. Like it's some organic life form. Yes. Which is so weird, which also Mm -hmm. then makes me think whoever programmed this thing, did they program these squeals? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I know that it's just for movie magic or whatever, but like. It is like funny to also take it way too seriously and think like, why would they do that? Uh, yeah. It, yeah, we we my dad and I watched it together, uh, the RoboCop, and we thought it was like really funny whenever it's just roaring like a monster or uh, squealing like a pig. Um, but yeah, please don't like same with Starship Troopers. I haven't seen that in a while, but I'm sure that the CG probably doesn't hold up as much as it probably did uh, when I yeah. watched it last. But that movie is so good for other reasons that I hope that yeah. people can at least kind of maybe overlook some of the age in some of these, which I don't think RoboCop for me looks aged at all, except no. uh, for the uh, stop motion, which I personally love. So, yeah. uh, you know, it didn't affect me at all, but sincerely go check it out. Um, try to, you know, and I, I challenge the listeners to, uh, you know, try to find some of that subtext that we talked about because it's right, right there in front of you. It's everywhere. It's pretty much what the whole movie is focusing on but you know we get the surface level uh you know action-packed uh gory fun time and a lot of yeah. times that's what we focus on so uh yeah with that said that is uh, our take on robocop and uh, paul verhoven his birthday is uh it was uh july 18th so um definitely go watch uh, one of these three movies to celebrate um you know he was uh, he's an interesting filmmaker and also uh sam and joe thank you so much for doing this it's always a pleasure having you guys here and um, I'll let you guys sign off. And uh, Joe, you better have a good quip for us, buddy. Uh, hey, I, I, I've already dropped it, but I'm going to drop it again. So go, go ahead, Sam. And I'll, I'll drop it last. Oh, uh, thanks again for having me, guys. It was a blast. Um, and uh, yeah, happy birthday to Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> all right. And all, all I can say about it all is, can you fly, Bobby? All right, everybody, that is our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed our talks on Verhoeven movies. Uh, You know, I started off talking about Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Then I had a long-form talk here, as hopefully you listened to it, and you know we talked about RoboCop. Uh, Definitely go check out RoboCop. It surprised me how good it was. Um, Because every time I watch RoboCop, like I said before, and same with Total Recall, I always feel like I'm not going to like these movies anymore. And then I watch them and I end up liking them more. Now, in the case of Total Recall, I I probably liked it about the same as I did last time. It's just that uh, I liked RoboCop even more. And part of it also could just be because I got the Arrow Video version of it. And it looks incredible. So, hey, if you're out there and you like boutique Blu-ray companies, check out Arrow Video. They have some really great stuff going on and their RoboCop is killer. So uh, definitely go check that out. I hope you guys enjoyed it. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. Next week we were supposed to have Matthew Socion, but we, uh, you know, I've been I've been uh, working on a whole lot of stuff in my personal life. We'll just say that, and it led to a point where I don't think I'm going to be able to uh, to get through some of the uh, Bergman stuff we were supposed to do for next week. So I'm pushing off Matthew Socian and I's uh, Bergman marathon. Uh, for another week, and next week I think I'm going to have my buddy Charlie on. Now Charlie was, I've I've uh, virtually taught some of his classes. He's a professor uh, at he's been at various schools. I forget which school he is now, but he's somewhere in Kansas. Dude is awesome. I love him so much. He uh, he uh, plays D and D with us too. He's a big nerd like me. Anyways, we're going to talk about much like I did with my dad. We're going to talk about some movies that really mean something to him. You know, in order to introduce him, because I would love to have him on more often as well. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about a few of them. I'm not going to spoil any now, even though I want to. The point is, uh, he and I, Charlie and I, have this this back and forth banter where we will fight viciously about something, yelling at each other, and it means nothing to us. Like we'll be fine, you know. Like it doesn't hurt our feelings. We know we love each other. We're great friends, and it's fine. But we will get heated. We'll see if we do next week. We don't always, uh, but sometimes, you know, he, he well, he likes to push my buttons, too. That's another thing. He likes to say stupid things that are bait, and he knows that I'll take them because I can't stand it. All right? So I'm, I'm really excited just to see how the episode goes. I don't mean to, like, sign a check we can't cash next week. I'm just saying you never know what you're going to get with me and Charlie. So I'm excited to have Charlie on. That will be great. But until then, sincerely, we love you, and thank you so much for listening. Good night, good luck, and take it easy. <laughs>